0: Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Are Welcome to Song of the Soul
1: follow your heart love will find you Truth will unbind you seek out a song of the soul and and we'll sing this
0: song. We've got a new and innovative musical treat for today's Song of the Soul one drawing on centuries-old forms of spiritual music. Singer-songwriter Chris Moore is currently part of a trio, Kindling Stone, whose songs are a musical exploration of divine questions, harnessing such forms as sacred harp singing and the songs of the Shakers, and much more. Really, you're in for an unexpected treat, both from Chris's story and from the music he's been making with Kindling Stone and with his former group, Rust Farm. Chris Moore joins us today from Nashville, Tennessee. Chris, it's wonderful to have you here today for Song of the Soul.
2: Thanks for inviting me to have this conversation with you and play some of our music. I'm really looking forward to it.
0: When did your love affair with music start?
2: I can't really go back far enough, I don't think, because it's early in my childhood. My grandfather was a piano player in New York and Philadelphia in the 30s and 40s, and he co-wrote songs with his wife. And so I grew up hearing songs. It was always, since I was a little kid, it sort of was obvious that a song was something that somebody could actually write and come up with. That that wasn't a mystery that came to me later. I grew up playing the piano. And the classical violin, I started at age 9 or 10 and played through. I was about 17. And then I switched over to the plectrum instruments. So I would say, you know, the love started early and it kept developing.
0: I noticed that for Kindling Stone, you're generally not the one playing violin. Did you give that up completely? You just leave that to other folks? I mean, right now you've got Mark Wingate, who I think plays violin a lot for Kindling Stone.
2: That's correct. He's the fiddler, and, you know, I would say he probably, well, we all know the difference between a violin and a fiddle, and a fiddle is you can spill beer on, that's what they say. But, okay. um, <laughs> but I think Mark doesn't spill too much beer on his fiddle, but he still plays a fiddle, and I really never made that transition. I pick it up every once in a while and try, but it's such a different right-hand bowing style in terms of the sort of traditional music whether it's whether we're talking about Celtic music or Appalachian, you know, or old-time music or bluegrass.
0: Obviously, vocals are a big part of what you do. I mean, you do vocals, Mark and Charlotte, as the whole of Kindling Stone, do just some awesome vocals. You also do, I think, mandolin, reed organ. What other things are your repertoire?
2: My primary instrument for Kindling Stone is this octave mandolin, which is a mandolin that's just an octave lower than standard mandolin. And I play a little mandolin on the recording, and then I play a little folding reed organ that's four-octave pump organ that you pump with your feet, the kind that were in every church in the United States in the 19th century before they had electricity, if they could afford to have one. This one was made in England that I have, and it folds down to sort of like a big toolbox size, so it makes it very portable. So it's the mandolin family instruments and this reed organ. So there's for the instruments.
0: Well, Kindling Stone has one recording out. You've got one coming very shortly. How about starting us out with a sample of the kind of music you make?
2: Sure. Song without the singing is one of the tunes that really sort of anchored the kindling stone recording from two thousand and eight, and it started with this mandolin line, it was sort of like an old timey line, but the words are sort of mystical in some way, I guess, but it's a more sort of open extended sort of devotional type song in a way, and there's a lot of repetition of the cycle, and the idea is especially when we play it live, you can we certainly enjoy sort of getting in that zone of repetition, but I think with the people who are there listening, it sort of gets you into the some sort of contemplative or reflective or ecstatic sort of mode like some other musics that we listen to, like maybe, you know, I'm a big fan of Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan, that koali music, and that certainly does that kind of thing for me. So Song Without the Singing is sort of our version of that, I'd say.
3: the song, it is the song, it is the song without you.
0: Song Without the Singing, and that's written by Chris Moore. He's here today for Song of the Soul, performed with his group Kindling Stone. And right while we're at it, Chris, Kindling Stone, I think that that's probably a term of art that's been lost to the world. What is it?
2: (laughs) That's funny. Well... You know, it was one of those things where Mark and I, we will never be criticized for coming up with anything too fast. We were both of us very methodical. And before Charlotte joined the group, it was just pretty much a duo. And we wanted something that could be interpreted. It seemed like it represented what it was that we were doing and what our ideas for the group and goals were for the group. But it also clearly opened for interpretation. You know, The ways that it has shown up throughout history is sometimes sort of a flint is referred to as a kindling stone, but that wasn't really our intent. We just went with words that we really liked and that held possibility. What I like about the name is that maybe it uh, alludes to the idea of a hearth, you know, a place where you make fire. But I think as time's gone on, what I really like about it is associating the combustible, the fire, the sparks the yeah, creative energy or the spiritual quest is like part of what we focus on from a place that's considered to be you know you wouldn't necessarily find the spark out of a stone you know it's the idea that you have fire coming from a rock I like that juxtaposition because that's really at the crux of what it seems like we're faced with all the time when we're trying to explore those things that are sort of beyond the conventional, which is like we have to think of it outside of the way that we usually think of things. That maybe is a good starting seed in the name to put us as a reminder and people who listen to our music and participate in our live events thinking about that in that same way.
0: You know, I just thought of something, and it may be totally off topic, but when you strike Flint, Stone, whatever together, you get a spark what is it that's burning? I mean, I think of wood, I think of paper, I think of organic stuff burning, but stone doesn't burn. So what's burning? Bring on the
2: geologists and the chemists. You got me, man. I don't know what's going on. I'm just like, I think I feel more like the caveman, which is like, ooh, let's go with it. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) You know, but that's, it is truly amazing, isn't it? That we get that, whatever friction is at play there, turning into the element of fire. And in the end, what we realize is that I think also to sort of tie it back down, back to the spiritual quest, when you're in the presence of the divine, you know it without question, and you go, look at this. I took this thing that was maybe counterintuitive, and I got where I wanted to try to go, you know. And I guess that's in the realm of faith, you know. It must have been, uh, I don't know if it happened with fire, but it probably was an accident, you know. So or an act of nature. And I think a lot of times those spiritual gifts come to us in that way too. It's sort of like it certainly seems like
0: an accident. Except that it probably isn't. And you probably want to tune in and listen to one of my spirit and in action interviews I'll be doing probably about a month from now. It's with the author of a book who's exploring the purpose of the universe, starting from the Big Bang and these transitions from Big Bang, which is nothingness into the first elements, and from the elements into organic elements, organic elements into consciousness. And he talks about how there seems to be a purpose in front of it that pulls creation past these things. And he's doing this from a scientific and philosophical basis. It's a very interesting new understanding of the world that's coming about.
2: Love that topic, love the subject, and exactly right. You know, I'm a fan of the writer Lauren Isley, who's clearly a scientist, but also explored all these spiritual questions. He refers to something that's, rather than pulling, maybe driving, which is that organizing principle that comes out of the mud, you know, that comes out of the miasma, where there is no life, or there is no direction, and somehow... It's hard for us to be able to see, but we seem to be getting closer to it, you know, as we continue to look back into the depths of the origins of the universe or extrapolate out in terms of where it's going. And I think, you know, one other thing to say about it's a world of causality, clearly. We may not be able to see all the variables at play, and so it seems like a surprise when we get something, some form of insight or closer to feeling connected with each other or the universe of the spiritual world. And it may not be possible for us to trace every one of those. I know in the Buddhist teaching, you're not supposed to actually reflect on karma in terms of why something is happening to you now because it leads to a deranged mind because you can't follow all those variables. So a lot of times I will just sort of put that over to, okay, I know it's a world of causality. I know these results will come as a result of me working on something. But I don't have much control on when I'll get the benefits or what form the benefits will
0: take. But you are on that spiritual quest, and I'm on a quest to hear a little bit more of your music. So let's marry those two together and give us another song.
2: Okay, well, this is a tune from the Sacred Harp tradition, which is American folk hymn tradition. There's also this tradition in the U.K. as well, but this was something that started in the Northeast and the, US, but then sort of spread to the South and then still stuck in the South. Alabama is one of the places where this form is still sung a lot. It's now gone worldwide, but the tradition is well practiced all over the country now. The Sacred Harp is one of many tune books of these folk hymns that came out in the 19th century, and Odom is the name of the tune. Usually this would be sung with a bigger group. And four different parts, and we've got three parts—a three-part arrangement of it.
3: Odom. Wonderful things of men are said when they have passed away. Flowers adorn the narrow bed over the lifeless clay. Give me the roses. Give me while the roses while I lay. Give me the Something to cheer me on, me on. on. Flowers, flowers, give the flowers you may give After the soul is gone Give me the roses while I live Something to cheer me on the flowers you may give After the soul is gone Life is the time for words of praise Hands with friendly smiles, blessings to, to cheer up pilgrim's days are always well worthwhile. Give me the roses, give me while the roses while I live. Something to remember so on him, the flowers, flowers give After the soul is gone, give me the roses, give me the roses while I live. Give me
0: that's Kindling Stone performing Odom. And, you know, that song goes back quite a ways. I found it under the name Give Me the Roses Now.
2: Correct. Well, Give Me the Roses While I Live, right. And it was kept up in the bluegrass community. It's one of those things where it evolved into being one that bluegrassers would now And I knew it through that, too, until Mark was really the one who introduced me to that whole Sacred Harp tradition beyond something that I just had heard of. I love when some of these tunes that you know from one place, you sort of trace their roots and they go back and come out of this other tradition. So this is one of those that was sort of adopted in the world of bluegrass. And, you know, it's always fun to sing that at a show where bluegrasses would be because they know the words and they're familiar with it, but it's this very different, unusual version of it that they
0: hadn't heard before. I'm very interested in your taste in music. I mean, Clearly, this is not mainstream for much of the United States, and the subject matter seems to have this spiritual or religious or something content, it's this big picture content, as I would say, as opposed to those songs which say, you know, I'm a material girl living in a material world or I feel like making love or whatever, you know, or, or just I love you, I love you, won't you marry me? Uh, yeah. That doesn't seem to be a big drive for you.
2: No, and I like that music, and I listen to that music, and I'm a fan of popular music, but the way I think about it is, I guess, on two fronts. One is, what's motivating me as a songwriter? What ideas are going to motivate me? I've never been one to be motivated to write a song that is going to be a big hit for everybody. A lot of times you hear people talk about well, we thought we liked this song because everybody could relate to it, you know, and that we and we felt like if we could do that, then it has the potential to be a big hit. That's kind of a fun game to play, and it also there's a certain wonderful aspect about, you know, celebrating popular culture in that way, and that leads more to the mainstream. But that's never really what's held my interest. These questions, these spiritual questions, and these topics about what's I, I figured. You know, David Byrne, you know him from The Talking Heads. I was a big fan of his, and I still am. And one of the things he said was, he said the reason they came up with their sound was because they wanted to try to do something that didn't seem like anybody was really doing it. Not just because that works out to their advantage in terms of their potential as a popular success. Really, I think the seed of that is because you want to engage in something that can hold your interest, that's not just derivative or not just, as Mark sometimes says, we're not satisfied with just following the existing models because we're in sort of pushing the forward edge of change. And the ironic part of that, I guess, is to look to the past further back into the American musical history, you know, that predates early recordings like the Carter family, but looks into the 19th century and even the late 18th century In this country for some of that music that was being sung and that i found really does inspire me as a songwriter
0: but not necessarily oh my darling clementine
2: love that tune and the thing is i guess i'll keep quoting mark here only because he's not part of the interview one of the things he says he says seems like there's enough of that already
0: (laughs) okay so you mentioned the big questions the content, the spiritual something behind it that you're looking toward answers for. What kind of questions are you trying to find or explore through your music?
2: Where's meaning? Where do we derive meaning from things? What is it that we long to be reconnected with? Are we disconnected from things? Are we all actually the Buddha already and all we have to do is find our true nature? What is all this driving and craving and rushing about that seems to not get to deliver us the happiness that we're seeking and the peace or inner peace or balance that we're seeking? What does it mean to be connected with each other or with the divine or with the universe or with the ro- world around us? How do we get there a, where we're trying to go? And um, one of the songs that maybe it's a good time to play this next song, of uh, Broken Racers, because it really gets to, it focuses in on at least a couple of those questions where in, in the course it's sort of who will stop and turn an open eye to the flock of geese now passing by as we're all racing down to our ultimate demise. You know, it's those moments where we can sort of give up the racing and give up the rushing and stop and look. And very briefly, I'd like to say the anecdote about this flock of geese, this idea I was doing winter camping with my friend from Maine Paul Sarvis and we saw a flock of geese passing by but we were up in hiking in the snowy mountains of New Hampshire and when the flock of geese passed by they were below us because we were so high and that was the first time that had ever happened. So here's this V of Can- Canada geese passing by but we weren't looking up at them, we were looking down at them.
0: And that led you to the song Broken Racers. It's performed by Kindling Stone. It's written by Chris Moore.
3: Look from the garden where we Lay so soundly sleeping, called by the sun to greet the day, sent forth to wander over peaks and lowly valleys till our reunion with the clay. but from a garden where we lay so soundly. do Confuse the sickness with the cure Broken racers with our work undone Down, down the slope of time we run Who will stop and turn an open eye To the flock of geese now passing by Broken racers
0: Kindling Stone, performing a song by one of their members, Chris Moore. He's with us here today for Song of the Soul. The song is Broken Racers, and exploring those big questions of meaning, where we're going, what we're putting our effort towards. <laughs> and if you're at all like me, Chris, and I sense that you are a kindred soul that way, this world looks pretty crazy, doesn't it?
2: It can look crazy, and maybe it's a good time to sort of bring up the shaker's because it seems like it might be a long one long. Some days it seems like it's just one long continuum of crazy that keeps getting crazier and crazier and crazier until we finally something happens. You know, I heard one scientific theory now in terms of evolutionary biology is that we're not actually going to kill ourselves off as a species but that we need to start seeing ourselves as a weed species like the kudzu and like insects and that ultimately the planet will just be ruled by weed species and all the sort of nice, lush, you know, variants that we enjoy in this paradise that we call Earth will just be a living hell. I hope that doesn't come to pass, and I'd like to be part of maybe reversing that tide if there's anything we can do about it. So I guess as it relates, though, I don't think it's just one long downhill. I think it's cyclical. And one of the things that I think I see is that these same questions are being asked at various times throughout human history. And one of those times was in the 19th century when people were faced with industrialization and a different economic structure, and we're feeling like, what can we do in the face of this? We're losing the paradise, the Eden that we're living in, and people's values are all changing, and it's all going towards cities, and the, the family dynamic is breaking apart. Many of these same things that we're thinking about now that sort of lead to this whole movement of acting locally. So in the 19th century, the Shakers responded by saying, well, what if we... What if we create a community that's set apart from the regular community? We won't close off ties completely, although there was sort of interesting history around the way that they dealt with that. They still sort of brought things to the marketplace of the greater community and invented a lot of things that were useful to the greater community, like the clothespin and the uh, circular saw, and they were the first ones to put little seeds in packets and call them, you know, pumpkin seeds and then sell them that way. But they created a sense of order in their communities where they could follow their own rules and share collectively in the economic structure. And men and women both had equal governing roles. So this was one way that people who were sort of fed up with the craziness of the world said, let's see if we can create some order and live a little more closely in every moment towards some sort of spiritual ideal. And they had a lot of success doing it and one of the things that really hooked me with the Shakers was that they came up with 9,000 tunes, and that music was a giant part of what it is that they were doing. I could definitely relate to that.
0: So I'm sensing that this is leading towards sharing some of that music.
2: (laughs) Yeah, here's a field recording by Sister Mildred Barker from the Sabbath Day Lake Shaker community in Maine, about 45 minutes from where I grew up in Gorham, Maine. She's singing a traditional Shaker tune called Down in the Lowly Veil. Vale. And it's very simple and short, but in there is a lot of wisdom and a lot of Shaker theology. Uh, I would point out specifically this idea that where we find peace and unity and connection is not necessarily on the mountaintop the way that a lot of other Christian theology sort of looks to the high points, let's climb to the top of the mountain, let's get to the peak. But they were all about humility and going down to a lower place. And so this whole idea that that's where you find peace, in the low places like the valley, is very specific to Shaker theology.
3: Down in the lowly vale, living waters never fail. Move by the pleasant gale, Gentle breezes blowing, where all earthly sorrows cease, and eternal joys increase. Oh, Oh, the land of peace, there I will be going.
0: Down in the Lowly Vale, the singer there is Sister Mildred Barker of the Shaker community up Sabbath Day Lake. And that song was selected by Chris Moore for his Song of the Soul. He's part of a group called Kindling Stone. Their website is kindlingstone.com. What you're listening to is called Song of the Soul. And my name is Mark Helpsmeet. I'm your host for this Northern Spirit Radio production. Our website, northernspiritradio.org. And if you come to northernspiritradio.org, you'll find links to Chris Moore and to Kindling Stone and to all of the other great people we've had for the last seven years there's a lot of wealth and wisdom out there, as well as just delightful music and talk. So, again, northernspiritradio.org. Come to the site, leave comments, make donations, and expose yourself to the wealth that has been passed on through this program. Again, the song that we just heard, it's a very simple a cappella song there by Sister Mildred Barker, Down in the Lowly Vale," one of the Shaker traditional songs. You said, Chris, some about how you connect to that kind of song and the, the questions it's trying to address. As a, a person in the early 21st century, a number of the ideas and number of the concepts I think are dismissed out of hand by people these days. There's reference in that song, for instance, when all earthly sorrows cease and eternal joys increase, that kind of thing, land of peace. Some people are extremely cynical these days, yeah, Land of Peace, how ridiculous is that? Or Pie in the Sky, by and by. How do you react to those kind of ideas? Or do you just deal with them metaphorically? Or what works for you?
2: That's an interesting question. I, I have to say that you can talk yourself out of pretty much anything. And I think that's a lot of what cynicism is about. And it's a challenge that has to do... I, I know that Mark and Charlotte and I, and as much as we play music, we also talk about these ideas. In a lot of our conversations, we've come to this conclusion that, for example, when you read, you know, the varieties of religious experience by William James or something, and you hear about these these descriptions of people having epiphanies or intense spiritual awakenings or spiritual experiences, it doesn't count for much to tell the story <laughs> of an epiphany for another person's experience. It really matters most to the person who's having that epiphany and that spiritual experience. So there's a challenge, you know, in that way, it's easily dismissed as, you know, that crazy person over there. Or why would you look at something, you know, it's so easy to look at the shakers and think like, oh, that seems really ascetic and boring to live that way. But That wasn't their experience at all. And so when it comes down to it, it has to do with this individual and community collective experience, and that's really what I think we look for and aim for. The wisdom that we've come to, if we've come to any at this point, is that the key is in the experiential connection of activity around these things, whether we're making connections with one another, or whether we're making a connection as musicians with an audience, or whether we're making a connection as human beings with those things that we don't know, that we long for this connective experience. And behind all of it, whether you're at a football game, or at a bluegrass festival, or singing in a choir at church, the thing that really drives, or at a barbecue with a bunch of friends, the thing that really drives that feeling of connection, and through connection, we are deriving our meaningfulness around the human experience, and I guess that's where I would leave it, you know, at this point. It may evolve, but I would say it's easy to dismiss anything from a distance, but what I like to do is take a phenomenological approach, which is to say hey, what would it be like to be that person, that shaker or that Buddhist monk and see where they're coming from and try to understand what it is that they're looking at. And through that exercise of doing it, then you come to understand, ah, I see, because from the outside, very easy to dismiss. So in terms of that simplicity of those tunes, on the surface, you would say very easy to discard. But once you start, hey, what, what would it be like to learn that and sing it? then all of a sudden you're having a very different experience.
0: You know, you've referred to Buddhism and you've referred to Shakers. You've talked about these different paths. What's been your path? I assume that you were not raised in a Shaker family because I think they practiced abstinence from sex yes, completely. Celibacy,
2: although it was all converts, so it wasn't. In the 19th century, certainly whole families went over. You know, it would already had children. But no, not Shaker. I, was, I would say the closest thing, my parents did take us somewhat infrequently to the First Parish Unitarian Church in Portland, Maine. I would say because of the age that my parents were growing up in the sort of 50s and 60s and were both artists, visual artists, and grew up in the some of the counterculture of the 60s, I would say some of the message that we got was that art was spiritual practice. And in a way, looking back on it, it's been quite a gift because it's sort of like a clean slate in terms of religious tradition. So I come at it in some ways where I get to learn from the ground up some of these traditions. So I wasn't brought up in a Christian tradition very specifically. So in some ways, some of the things that people have to sort of get some distance from if they grow up in a certain tradition when they get older, I don't have those preconceptions. That said... I have come to learn that America, even with all its diversity, is a very Protestant-driven culture and that a lot of things do lead to Protestantism, including, in this whole different discussion, many of the ways that we practice Buddhism in this country. So when I met my wife, she had had experience in the Quaker tradition, and so I was introduced to that. I've been interested in Buddhism for as long as I can remember. I think my in really was through Zen, but then I discovered Thich Nhat Hanh and then got interested in the Theravada Southeast Asian tradition and practiced that. I think the Shaker theology is very interesting to me. So I would say, as Stephen Prothero of Boston University said, I would describe myself as somewhat confused <laughs> in terms of a variety of traditions while seeking for clarity, because it's quite a mix.
0: Wow, that's a pile of mixtures. That's quite a mixture.
2: So I really think, Mark, this is probably a good lead-up to the next song, which is a song that I wrote in a band that I had in the Boston area through the 90s we made two recordings. The band was called Rust Farm, and this song is called Closer, and it really gets to some of the things that I was just talking about, which is that even though... We don't really know where it is that we're trying to get on the spiritual path. We employ faith, we employ diligence, effort, rational thinking, emotional experience, and we keep peeling away the layers and we get hopefully closer and closer to what? As the lyric says, I do not know, but it's worth it to continue driving, and that faith keeps driving us forward, at least it has with me, so Closer is the next song.
3: I used to think that prayers were made for asking, a plea for signs. Some- Like a pivot turned to ripples on the pond. But the answer always came back in a tangle. Like vines climbing up the side of a hollow tree. And now I think they looking up in one. It's the place I've been.
0: Listening to Chris Moore's Song of the Soul. He was back in the 90s. He was a member of Rust Farm. And that song, Closer, is one that they put out on one of the two CDs that they produced. You can find their recordings maybe by contacting Chris Moore. And there's a link on northernspiritradio.org so you can find out where to get their music. That song, by the way, Chris, struck me as more folksy than some of your work now with Kindling Stone, and again, the website kindlingstone.com. I would describe that as leaning more towards this shaker side whereas closer feels a little bit closer to maybe the 20th century and into 19th, the 19th folk yeah. scene.
2: Yeah, and that some of the sort of singer-songwriter tradition that's come up since the 60s, 50s, and 60s, but the contemporary singer-songwriter, that definitely has some of those chords and those sensibilities that are like that, and it's your question before about me not operating in the mainstream. It seems like I've, I've consistently traveling further and further away from it but that's okay but it's okay by me my friend John McGann who was a great guitarist and a Berkeley College of Music professor who suddenly passed away this past February but was my bandmate and a great musical mentor in that group I met somebody who was one of his students and was familiar with the Rust Farm music and they asked John what I was doing now meaning for the past 10 years since I moved to Nashville and started working on this kindling stone material. And he said, he's writing music that makes Bill Monroe sound like the Carpenters.
1: <laughs> Which... <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: yes.
2: uh, that was one of John's great gifts was a sense of humor about music. But I'll, I'll say that I took that as a compliment from John McGann. But at the same time, you know, I'm not sure... I may never see the mainstream in that light, but it's okay. I'm on my own journey.
0: One of the things that strikes me is I think you are avowedly attempting to explore these big questions, that your music is in some ways an exploration and an attempt to maybe help other people follow in your footsteps or travel with you or share their energy as you explore the big questions. There's a song that Moody Blues did back, I guess, 60s, early 70s. I'm just a singer in a rock and roll band. They say, you know, I'm not trying to answer those questions. Forget it. Well, you come to me and, of course, the Moody Blues cultivated this sense that they were heavy in dealing with question of balance, etc. But then they say, well, hey, I'm just a singer in a rock and roll band. Don't ask me. (laughs)
2: That's right. Well, you know, that's the trickster in the Zen tradition or it's the... Or it's also, you know, maybe can be interpreted in some ways, you know, the same way as the shaker response, which is like, hey, listen, you know, it's not about me, it's not about fame, it's not about... Personality, it's about like going the other direction. Let's put things into perspective, you know. In that respect, don't get me wrong because I'm a huge fan of all kinds of music and I love all kinds of popular music and I listen to all kinds of music and I also adhere to my friend John McGantz. I deal with if it's good music, the genre doesn't matter to me. You know, we've all have to follow these leadings and these voices inside ourselves that tell us to go in this direction. We need to proceed with courage and vulnerability to find our true selves uh, through the journey. And you don't know where that's going to go. And I believe that, you know, any place that you get off the path to try to write for the charts, as it were, or, you know, try to jerry-rig some sort of recipe for financial or fame success, you're going to get off the path. And I think even people who've had great success in music, some of our great heroes, would probably agree with that.
0: I hate to do this, Chris, but I'm going to put the next song you selected, I'm On My Journey Home, performed by Denson's Sacred Harp Singers. I'm going to put that song and our discussion around it as an excerpt on the web. So listeners, go to northernspiritradio.org, go to Chris Moore's Song of the Soul, select the excerpts, and treat yourself to the bonus song, I'm On My Journey Home. Oh, some beautiful music that you're sharing with us. And again, because it's not in the mainstream, you're really adding to our wealth quite a bit. Can you give us one more before we have to go off for this hour of Song of the Soul?
2: Sure. Well, and I'd like to say thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this. I know that, you know, Mark and I and Charlotte, it's been great to be turned on to the work that you're doing. And we feel happy to be included in that. And we also feel like it's a comfortable area for us. So. It's great to talk about these things. I could talk about these things almost all day, every day. So it's great that this is where you're operating and that you're sharing this stuff with people out there. This last tune is from the Kindling Stone recording, and it's a shaker tune and separate field recording. I don't think it was ever recorded by anybody else, and we just made an arrangement. We kept the unison singing, which was standard for the shakers. They didn't have harmony in any of their singing before the Civil War anyway. And the message is simple, but it's one of, again, connection and binding the ties between us in the way that we are connected together. And I think it's a good one to go out with Little Children, or, or as the Shakers refer to it, Little Children says Holy Mother.
0: By Kindling Stone, Little Children. Thanks so much, Chris, for joining us for Song of the Soul.
2: Thanks a lot, Mark. It's been a great joy.
3: Little children, holy mothers, soothe and comfort one another. Loda, 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 loda Little children, says holy mothers, soothe and comfort one another. Loda, 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 loda Draw the cords of union stronger. Wind and bind them around each other. Make them feel your love and blessing. Draw the cords of union stronger, wind and bind them around each other, make them feel your love and blessing. Years... Little children's as holy mother, soothe and comfort one another, Lo, low, 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 lo, lo, low, Lo, lo, lo Draw the cords of union stronger, wind and bind them around each other, make them feel your love and blessing. Draw the cords of union stronger, wind and bind them around each other, make them feel your love and blessing. Each other make them feel the love and All the of union stronger bind them around each other. Make them feel love and
0: blessing. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit radio production. You can listen to this program again.